Hello everyone and welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm Chris Soplensky. All employers required to keep injury and illness records are impacted by the improved tracking of the Workplace Injuries and Illnesses Rule, and more than 460,000 employers will need to electronically submit records for public scrutiny under OSHA's recent rulemaking. Many believe the anti-retaliation provision of the rule will be eliminated as soon as new OSHA leadership moves in. But what about the electronic submission of records and posting the data? This is a massive undertaking in an already underfunded and understaffed agency. On today's EHS on Tap, we will be discussing the future of OSHA's record-keeping requirements with Tressie Cordero. Tressie is a partner in the Washington, D.C. region office of Jackson Lewis, where she advises and represents employers on occupational safety and health matters before federal and state OSHA enforcement agencies. Tressie will also be presenting at this year's BLR Safety Summit in early April in Austin, Texas. Tressie, welcome to EHS on Tap. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. I, um, this is a topic that's actually near and dear to my heart, and I'm very passionate about it, so I'm excited for this podcast. Terrific. So Congress is attempting to use the Congressional Review Act to revoke the clarification of employers' continuing obligation to make and maintain an accurate record of each recordable injury and illness, also known as the Volk Rule. The Volk Rule essentially reversed a court ruling that limited OSHA's ability to cite record-keeping violations to six months. Will this effort by Congress have any effect on the final rule to improve tracking of workplace injuries and illnesses, or the electronic record-keeping rule? That's a good question. Um, The Volk Rule, as you uh, indicated, um, was a rule Um, that came out from federal OSHA in response to a decision from a U.S. Court of Appeals basically telling OSHA they only had six months to issue citations for record-keeping violations. Uh, If if Congress does use um, the Congressional Review Act, right, what we call CRA, to withdraw the Volk's Rule, and if it's approved by President Trump, then it will effectively withdraw that rule but unfortunately, it will not have actually any direct impact on the electronic record-keeping rule, or what OSHA really refers to as the improved tracking of workplace injuries and illnesses. Um, the electronic record-keeping rule was effective in December for the anti-retaliation provisions and January for the electronic submission, uh, although OSHA still hasn't announced the availability of that electronic record-keeping system. Um, but in short, the uh, CRA for the Volks rule just unfortunately won't have any impact for the electronic record-keeping rule. Okay. Um, Will the anti-retaliation provisions of the electronic record-keeping rule be eliminated or changed with the incoming OSHA leadership? So, well, we certainly hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So while, um, you know, the Volks rule may be withdrawn under a continuing, I mean, under the Congressional Review Act, uh, under the CRA, um, the hope is with the electronic record-keeping rule, right, particularly both either the anti-retaliation provisions or the electronic submission portion of it, um, that the incoming uh, political appointees, um, you know, the new uh, Secretary of Labor and the new um, Assistant Secretary of Labor for OSHA would look to make some changes. Um, obviously, like I said, we, we certainly hope that's the case. Um, there are 
particular provisions uh, in this rule that are extremely vague, and in, in my opinion, uh, in contrast to clear congressional intent that makes retaliation claims exclusively covered by Section 11C of the OSH Act as opposed to an enforcement action by OSHA. Um, the important thing is that eliminating or changing these provisions will be difficult and will likely require OSHA to reopen the rulemaking record. Uh, things like agency guidance, which clarifies issues, uh, that can be done without the need to reopen the, uh, the record, but to eliminate provisions altogether or to make substantive changes to them uh, really will require more work on the agency's part. And it is very possible that they could reopen the rulemaking record um, and uh, look to revise or eliminate portions of the rule, but it will require, like I said, some, some effort on the agency's part. They simply can't uh, make substantive changes without engaging in rulemaking. Okay. Uh, do you think we need the electronic record-keeping rule? <laughs> yes. um, a good, good question. Um, in my perspective as a, uh, an attorney who represents management and, uh, you know, someone who I, I started off uh, at, at OSHA. I started off as a director of construction, so I spent some time at the agency um, and obviously spent some time in private practice. My short answer is no. I, I, I don't, in my opinion, don't think we need this rule. Okay. Uh, the rule was designed to nudge employers to comply with safety and health standards based on a theory that if an employer's injury and illness data is online, then they will be more likely to comply with OSHA standards. I mean, the bottom line is there's simply no data to support this. Uh, and more importantly, this rule essentially undoes the concept of no-fault record-keeping and places an emphasis on lagging indicators rather than leading indicators. So in my opinion, it's a misguided rule focusing on all the wrong issues and, and all, all the wrong things. Most employers want to provide a safe work environment for their employees, and electronically submitting their 300 logs, their 300A, and their 301s to OSHA is, is just simply not going to change that. Um, so I think the short answer to your question is, do we need the electronic record-keeping rule? The answer is no. There's no indication that it's going to benefit safety in the work environment at all. Wow. Uh, and, OSHA already has, and, and OSHA already has access to um, the logs and your uh, 300As and your 301s when they come in and inspect. Okay. Um, and many companies believe that post-accident drug testing is a critical safety tool. Does the anti-retaliation provision prevent employers from performing automatic post-accident drug testing? So another good question, and that's actually a question that we've gotten a lot since this rule came out. Um, because keep in mind, the rule itself actually says nothing about uh, drug testing. The actual regulatory text doesn't mention the word drug testing. What it does is says to employers, you have to have reasonable policies in place for employees to report injuries and illnesses, and that those policies can't um, discourage employees from reporting uh, injuries and illnesses. OSHA, in the um, regulatory history and in guidance documents, obviously, have in interpreted <laughs> the rule that they just issued as um, applying to post-accident drug testing. Okay. So I, I do, I agree with your statement that most employers believe post-accident drug testing is a critical safety tool. And no, um, in my opinion, the anti-retaliation provisions um, do not Im prevent employers from performing post-accident drug testing. Um, I think what the agency was aiming at, honestly, when you look at kind of some of the guidance documents they've issued, they're trying to get away from blanket uh, drug testing policies. So there are some employers that... Um, have policies in place that say anybody who goes off-site to receive medical treatment, right, 
Mm-hmm. Or if you just go off site. If you if you need to go off site for medical care of any kind, it could be first aid, right? Okay. Or it could be actual medical treatment. If you go off site and you are being treated for workplace injury, you are being drug tested. I think OSHA's position there is that not every injury, work-related injury, obviously, um, should be drug tested. The example would be carpal tunnel syndrome, right? So yeah. an employee who's complaining of wrist pain and goes off site, while that's keeping with the company's policy to t- treat everybody similarly, um, which avoids other <laughs> lawsuits and other issues and other discriminatory practices, um, they test an employee who complains of wrist pain um, and is treated for carpal tunnel syndrome. OSHA's opinion is, well, look, that employee shouldn't have been drug tested. The Drugs, right? If even if assuming this employee is taking drugs um, or alcohol, that has no impact on the actual injury. Right. That right. Um, or in contrast, with a forklift operator, if a forklift operator um, runs into a bystander and into part of a wall, right, and an employer drug tests the fork op- forklift operator. Well, it's reasonable to believe that the forklift operator's behavior could have been influenced by drugs. Yes. But if you if you drug test the bystander, which some employers may do, again, if everybody goes off site, right, and everybody's involved in a in a, in an accident, they may test both employees. But clearly, the bystander um, and whether that bystander uh, is in you know is under the influence of drugs or alcohol is not relevant because it's the forklift operator who obviously um, his behavior um, resulted in the accident. Right. So uh, to some extent, OSHA is trying to take this whole reasonable suspicion um, approach. And so the, the, the short answer to your question is the, the anti-retaliation provisions themselves don't automatically prohibit an employer from performing post-accident drug testing. I think employers need to take a closer look as to when they are doing post-accident drug testing um, and give some thought as to, you know, do we need to be drug testing in certain instances? Um, you know, do we have some basis for reasonable suspicion? Uh, that is at least where the agency is heading. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. Thank you. Um, and industry groups maintain that electronic filing requirements are burdensome and that the publicly accessible information only reveals information about injuries and illnesses, and not safety efforts of employers. Will this rule improve workplace safety as intended, or simply serve to shame companies with high injury and illness rates? Well, so uh, not everybody may agree with my answer, but um, <laughs> I believe uh, this rule was intended simply to serve to shame employees, oh. employers. Um, it, it, as I stated previously, there's no data to suggest that this rule will actually improve workplace safety. In my opinion, it's based purely on speculative effects, um, and uh, even ASSE came out against this rule. Uh, it is developed under Dr. Michael's theory of behavioral economics, um, which is in part this whole concept of regulation by shaming. Hmm. So in my opinion, it serves only to shame companies into compliance, um, but it in no way is truly reflective of safety at an employer's facilities. There are many injuries that are included in a 300 log that the employer has no control over. And again, that goes back to the whole concept here. Um, when record keeping was originally designed, 
it was meant to be a no-fault record-keeping system. There's actually a note in the record-keeping requirements that specifically says no fault is being assigned to the employer or the employee with respect to um, the workplace injury. And unfortunately, in my opinion, this rule takes that whole concept and turns it on, it, on its head. It, it is really meant to say to the public and to other employers who may use this information, these are the best employers because they have low injury and illness rates, and these are the worst employers because they have high injury and illness rates. And that is just not an accurate depiction of an employer's um, safe work practices in their work environment. So for me, uh, it's a rule that ser simply serves to shame companies. Wow, interesting. Um, so finally, there's, there's also speculation that Congress will add a rider to a budget bill to deny funding for enforcing the electronic record-keeping rule. What do you think the likelihood is of that happening? Um, so I guess two things. One, that certainly is an option that would prevent implementation of this rule. Right. Uh, and, I, and, I and I wouldn't rule out that possibility, right? Um, the likelihood, I, I, put it, I think there's anything that's likely, right? <laughs> <laughs> right now. Um, and I think there is a lot of concern about this rule. Uh, so I think there could be a, a, a high likelihood that we would see a rider added. Um, but again, and, and it has been used in the past, um, specifically like for um, injury and illness prevention, right, IIPP um, or the I2P2 as uh, federal issue refers to it as, okay. um, and, and funding that's been denied to actively uh, enforce that or, or actually move forward to promulgate a rule. Um, so it's something that's been used in the past and certainly could be used here. Um, although my preferred method would be to see this rule withdrawn altogether. <laughs> but again, yeah. that would require some rulemaking. So I think in the short term, defunding it um, would actually be a way of ensuring that you know it's not enforced and that there's some at least minor relief uh, in the implementation of the rule, particularly the electronic submission of it. Uh, and then we would see more activity from the agency once the political appointees become in place. And then, and then someone would decide, does the agency need to open up the, you know, the record again, engage in more rulemaking, or what other measures can they take? Um, but so it's a good possibility. Um, like I said, one option that's, that's currently available. So any uh, parting advice for employers as they wait for uh, all of this to get sorted out? Yeah. Um, so I think, on two, again, there are two aspects to this rule, right? There's the anti-retaliation provisions and electronic submission. You know, again, I, we hope to see some changes, particularly with respect to the anti-retaliation provisions. Um, but I would encourage employers to kind of take a look at their practices, right? Not that they need to upend all their policies, but some of the things the agency has been pushing uh, have been regarding the safety incentive pieces and... Um, discipline with respect to reporting injuries and illnesses, mm -hmm. and obviously the post-accident drug testing. You know, if employers start to kind of look at those policies, what they have in place, um, whether there is consideration that maybe they discourage uh, employees from reporting injuries and illnesses, then maybe it's, it's worth looking at, you know, is there another approach? Um, and if not, then, then you've done your due diligence, right? You've taken a look, you've given some thought, and you've, and you've considered it at least under this new rule. Right. Um, I would also say that if, if employers haven't already, they could um, 
post the uh, OSHA, it's the law poster, the April 2015 or newer version, okay. and that will satisfy employers' obligations to inform employees that they actually have a right to report injuries and illnesses and that they have a right to be free from discrimination for reporting an injury and illness. So it's another step they could take. With respect to the electronic submission, uh, we are kind of in a wait-and-see mode. Uh, the agency anticipated having the electronic um, format available in February. Uh, we are obviously in March, and that's not <laughs> the case, so it's not available. <laughs> um, and uh, we have heard from some of the acting individuals at the agency that they're hoping to have it available soon. Um, so to some extent, I guess employers probably need to keep their eyes and op ears open um, they can pay attention to OSHA's website. My understanding is as soon as it is electronically available, uh, they are going to post it on their website. But they can also get additional information from us on our blog, which is OSHALawBlog.com. Okay. Again, it's OSHALawBlog.com. Um, and we try very hard to um, make sure that uh, the employer community and um, those interested in OSHA issues uh, get up-to-date and timely information. So as soon as we become aware of uh, the availability of it, we will certainly post that on our blog so that uh, those people who view our blog or subscribe to it can get that information timely. Terrific. Sounds like a great resource. Well, listen, I uh, really appreciate uh, you spending some time with us today and uh, providing our listeners with these uh, great insights and helpful tips. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening. For EHS on tap, I'm Chris Saplensky.